worked uh, at the dorm. Meyer Hall, for anybody who went to Andrews, uh, that will sound familiar to you. Uh, at Meyer Hall, I was a student dean, and um, it functioned a little bit differently. When I went to Southern, we did, in fact, have student deans, but the function that they had was wildly different than the function of the student deans at Andrews. So going into that, I had the assumption that, well, I'm just kind of there to do some stuff on the computer and have like kind of a bloated title and not do anything. I'm, I'm not throwing any shade towards Southern at all, but that's kind of what it was. They functioned differently. So that's what I thought I was going to do. When I got the call, hey, you, you got the job. I said, okay, cool. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. And uh, we went to training, and I found out that, oh, wow, as student dean, I am essentially the dean. What I say goes. My word is law, right? Everyone reports to me on my night on. That is what you call uh, authority, right? <laughs> they gave that authority over uh, to me and, uh, and to the other student deans. It was uh, interesting, you know? You see all kinds of stuff. You talk about all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, my word was law. <laughs> and uh, not everybody liked that. Not everybody necessarily agreed with that, but it was. And I had to, like, understand what that meant, right? A lot of times what I would start to do is I would begin to default to, like, the head dean. Somebody would say, hey, there's this situation. What should we do? And I said, well, I don't know. Let me call the dean. So I'd pick up the phone, and I would call the head dean. Hey, dean, what do I do? He's like, well, you're on tonight, so figure it out. Click. Okay, I guess I'll figure it out. When you begin to think, we've talked a few, like I said, we're in a semi-series right now. We've talked about authority and the authority that is given to you uh, as a minister of the gospel. All of you minister, right? In your own communities, in your own circles, you have been given authority by Christ. And so today, uh, we're going to be uh, mostly, we're going to be jumping in between the end of Matthew chapter 9 all the way to the very beginning of Matthew 11. So uh, open up to Matthew chapter 9. While you're going there, I'm going to uh, kind of orient us in our message or in our text this morning. This portion of Matthew deals very heavily with the miracles of Jesus. Before this, it deals heavily with the teachings of Jesus. And those two things go hand in hand. If you just skim, I, everybody has a little different version, um, but uh, mine starts just right away. Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus heals a paralytic, right? And then Jesus calls Matthew, right? And then he's questioned and he teaches, right? And then it says, a girl is restored to life and a woman is healed. It goes on, Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man who is unable to speak. And then we find ourselves in verse 35. Is anybody tired already? Imagine what Jesus must be going through. Just reading that here and there and there and here, going from place to place, teaching and healing, and the word is spreading and people are approaching Jesus, it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes I read these stories 
and we read it from the comfort of our home, or maybe in the car, as we're at a red light, you open up your Bible app, right? If you're trying to get that extra blessing, and you read and you say, ah, it's just me, it's calm, it's nice. Maybe here at church you read this, and yeah, there is a crowd, but nothing, right? There is order here. Imagine people pushing and, 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 and moving in and, and squishing you, trying to get closer and closer. This is a little overwhelming. Verse 35 reads, chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. I imagine Jesus seeing this sea of people all crowding around him, and, I, and I, my heart breaks as well. Because when we, personally me, if I see a big crowd and they're all like rushing me, you know, your anxiety goes up, you're, you're kind of nervous, especially nowadays we start to wonder, you know, who's got corona in this crowd? You know, you begin to get worried. But when Jesus sees the sea of people, his heart breaks because he doesn't see the person's sin. He doesn't see thieves. He doesn't see uh, 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 robbers. He doesn't see bad people. What he sees are broken people, people who are hurting, people who are, like the text says, harassed, helpless, without a leader. I love that it says he had compassion. Have you ever watched someone, not even somebody that you know, have you ever watched someone get bullied from afar? Anybody? Maybe you're sitting at, at, at the bus stop or something and you see a group of people and they're kind of poking fun at one person, right? Or maybe you were at school and you're sitting at, you know, uh, um, in the lunchroom and you overhear laughter. And you say, oh, what is that? And, and in the midst of that laughter, you see that there's one person crying, right? Maybe uh, it's not outright bullying the way you see it in like movies and stuff like that, where people are getting like physically harmed or anything like that. Maybe it is as subtle as stuff you see here at church, where you overhear a little gossip there and a little gossip there. And, and it just seems like, man, like, Everybody has something to say about this one person, and you, you say in your heart, this doesn't feel right. You're moved with compassion for someone you may not even know, because you know what it must feel like to be that person. Maybe you have been the person on the receiving end, and now that you are no longer in that place, your heart breaks for someone who's getting bullied. Have you ever met somebody, maybe they're not getting bullied, but it just seems that they are continuously in a cycle that they cannot break free from 
this literally happened. I felt so bad, and so did Raquel. The other day, um, Raquel was getting some uh, work done on her teeth. Dentist, you got to get them clean. Do you know what I mean? And so she overhears, uh, as she's walking back to the room, she overhears the person that you, you know, you, maybe you don't like them because they're the ones who say, all right, here's the bill, Right? And she overhears the conversation of a man sitting in the seat and the woman explaining the bill. Sir, you don't have insurance. Yes, I know. Okay, well, then the bill for your surgery, because that's what he needed apparently, will be $16,000. No insurance. And then they have the audacity to say, but we found a coupon. That'll take you from 16 down to 12. And with our payment plan, over the next 16 years, you can pay that off. How awful is that? (laughs) Thank God that that was not me, but your heart breaks for someone like that. Imagine what that must be like. A person who does not have insurance, usually, stereotypically, what that means, they don't have a full-time job. So you get a bill for 16 grand. At best, you have a part-time job. 16 grand might be what you make a year, right? And so now, maybe you've been trying to get ahead in life. That's always how it feels, isn't it? You try to get ahead. You say, well, I used to not have a job, but now at least I have a part-time job. But now my teeth are hurting, and i got to go in. They hand me a bill for $16,000, but I just bought a car so I could get to work. Now I can't afford the car payment, so then I'm not going to be able to uh, go into my car. You know why? Because they're going to take it from me. And then I can't get to work, so I lose my job. And now I have nothing except my $16,000 bill from the dentist. Maybe I'm describing your life story on some degree, or maybe you've heard or you know people like this, and your heart breaks for them. As Jesus sees the sea of people, his heart breaks because what he sees is people being harassed and bullied by the devil. People who try, maybe they're trying their best to get ahead, but their, their vices, their, their, their addictions will pull them back no matter. They take one step forward and it always feels like two steps back. And then they hear about a man who heals, who feeds. That's what we talked about last week. He feeds from nothing. And they approach him and they're crowding him. And what he sees are broken people. And he's moved with compassion. He also sees people without a leader, sheep without shepherds. You may not like this, but I do believe strongly that people need leaders or at least someone that they can look up to. It helps a lot. I think uh, of, of leaders in my life. Like I think uh, I, I am blessed to have a uh, very positive father figure in my life, my dad. This morning I call him. 
You know, when I need something, when, I, when I'm wondering what to do next, the f- after I pray, the first call is my dad. We need leaders, or at least someone to look up to, and Jesus sees those bullied, those harassed, those without a shepherd, and his heart breaks. He has compassion. When we think about evangelism or outreach or our mission, yes, we are called, we have been given authority, but you must move with Compassion. Follow the example of Jesus. Our evangelistic approaches must be ones of compassion. You understanding what I'm saying? Don't do evangelism because you don't like how the other church is doing things and you think that they're leading people astray and you don't like them. Don't do things like that out of anger. Do not do evangelism or mission because you are annoyed with the people you see on Facebook talking about this and talking about that, or the people who you disagree with, their lifestyle, their their political, whatever it is, and you disagree with them and you begin to border on hate for these people, don't say, I need to evangelize them out of anger or annoyance. Do not evangelize out of disgust or just simply out of a desire for increased knowledge. God forbid we cannot do evangelism because of the excitement of seeing 5, 10, 20 people baptized at once. Don't get me wrong, that is exhilarating. I've been part of campaigns where 10, 20, 30 people get baptized, people get married because they want to do the right thing and then be baptized. It's awesome. It's awesome to see the move of God, but that's what it is. It is his compassion poured out on his people, freeing them from bondage, and their lives are changing. We cannot do evangelism just because we want to send home a number or tell your friends we baptize 50 people. We must be rooted in mission Because of compassion. We must do evangelism because our hearts are breaking for those in our community. It's not a trick question. Why would you help someone? It's not a trick question. You help someone because they are in need. We help people because we care about them. Not to look good on social media. In fact, Jesus, there wasn't social media back then, but he has a lot to say about that spirit where people are throwing money into the, into the tithe plate super loud or helping people and saying, look, everybody, look how I'm doing this thing. Jesus says, hey, the reward they have has been paid in full right there, and it stops there. We cannot do mission because we want to look good in front of others. Helping someone else should have nothing to do with you and everything about the situation that they are in. We must see people the way God sees them, with compassion. When we see somebody, maybe they come into church, maybe they're here today, 
right? Maybe they come next week or you're out and about and you see people and they're those people that you don't really get along with or don't like or, or something of that nature. We must look at them the way God looks at them with compassion. Have compassion in their current state. Look at them the way God looks at them. This is not their fault. Sure, you might say, but they make choices, Pastor. They do make choices, but they may be making choices because they are harassed by sin. Have you ever, you ever been just swarmed? I mean, we're in Gainesville. I know you have. You ever been swarmed by mosquitoes? And you just start, get off, get off. And you're like swatting everything. And oh, you might accidentally bump into someone. And that person says, how dare you? It's like, well, it's not that I meant to. But you made the choice to flail your arms. Like, yeah, but it was the mosquitoes. I was being harassed. There are times we will run into people who may harm you who may do bad things to you, who may go against every single thing you believe and hold dear. But a compassionate heart looks at that situation and says, perhaps, perhaps the choices they are making are because they are being bullied by sin and think these are the only choices they can make. A compassionate heart extends the arm and says, let me show you something different. Jesus moves on. He says, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When you go to get a job, they are hiring you because they need the help, right? And then, once you are hired, they give you the authority to do said job. And then, if they're a great company, they will give you training and prepare you for the job at hand. Moving on to chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus, he looks out, right? He looks out and sees the sea of people. He says, man, there's a lot of need and not a lot of people to help. And so he calls the disciples, verse 10, he called to him, or uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Pause right there. He gave them authority We've spoken about authority already, that you all have been given authority in more or less the same exact way. What do I mean by that? The authority at the end of the day is not yours. You understand what I'm saying? All authority, we go back to Matthew 28, all authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus talking, right? All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go, right? That's what Jesus says. Any authority these disciples have, any authority you have is given to you. Really, you are exercising the authority of Christ here 
in your spheres of influence. On, our, on their own, they could not cast out demons. They can't do anything. That is only of the power of God. So the fact that they were able to do that speaks to the fact that Jesus shared that authority with them, right? When I was working at the dorm, any authority I had, which was a lot, was given to me because, not because of who I am, but because I got the job, I was chosen, and then the dean gave me that authority. So that what would happen was when a resident in the dorm did not like what I said, or an RA did not like what I had to say to them because of something that they were doing, this is what they would do. If you have kids, they've probably done this to you too. They would go from me and go find the dean. (laughs) Dean! Dean Ben is doing this, and he's doing that, and I don't like it, and I think that goes against everything, blah, 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 blah. And then the dean would say, the one who holds the authority would then say, well, if that's what he said, then that's what it is. Understand that when you, in mission, are out and about meeting people, compassionately moved to help people, What's going to happen? And Jesus begins to explain this to his disciples. He says, hey, it's not going to be easy necessarily. There will be trials and tribulations. When you go out on mission, the devil wants to fight back. And when the devil comes and says, Lord, you chose this one? Well, I don't like what they have to say, and I don't like what they have to do. And Why are you choosing them? Of all people, Jesus, don't you know what they've done? Don't you know who they are? And Jesus will look at the devil and say, well, I gave them the authority, so you have no power over them. The authority is his, but he chooses you, he chooses me, to be his agents out on the field. And you walk with the authority of God. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Now, there's something practical I want to talk about here. <clears throat> Later on in different books, uh, when they recount this story, they talk about when Jesus first sends the 12, right? And then it goes farther out. After a time, he then sends 72 out. And when he sends the 72 out, and scholars, uh, for the most part, agree that it was the same way when he did it with the 12 that he did it with the 72. When Jesus sends out the 72, he sent them by pairs, Two people would go together, and they would minister in a city. Now, like I said, scholars agree for the most part that it was the same way. So when he sent out the 12, he sent them out 
in pairs. There's something practical about this and something that I would like to humbly, as we, as we look at our own mission here in Gainesville and how we do things at this church uh, in terms of our leadership, there are many qualified, awesome leaders who, here at this church, are burned out because they're by themselves. They are the director of this by themselves. There's something practical about sending people out in pairs. We think just about the nature of God himself. God is a God of community. Elohim is the Hebrew way of saying God. It is plural. (laughs) It is a plural name. God created Adam. Everything else he looked at that and said, hey, this is good. But he looked at Adam and said, hey, something, something's not right here. So then he made Eve a pair, and he said, hey, this is good, right? When he begins to say, I have now uh, called these men, I have walked with them, I have poured into them, I have equipped them, and now I'm ready to send them, he sends them out together, In your life. Now, let's not even necessarily talk about you have a mission to go on or something. Let's just talk about your life. Like I just said, you gotta have people you can call. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, what? So we sharpen one another. You need someone in your life to journey with. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be married or you have to have kids or something, but you need to have someone, a brother or a sister in Christ who you can walk with, someone who will pick you up when you're getting tired, somebody that you can pour into when they're tired. There's, practical, there's a practical reason why Jesus would do such a thing because of what we're going to get into or what Jesus gets into. When you go, you will meet opposition. And if there's not a brother there, if there's not a sister there who can comfort you, who can speak truth when you're believing lies, you will not last. And so, as we think about mission here in Gainesville as a church moving forward, We have to pair up. Every ministry will have a co-leader. We cannot do this alone because when we think about evangelism, we think about our mission, wouldn't you want to do it the most effective way possible? And I think we should follow the example of Christ. So that's a little aside here, but it is a practical a practical way of doing mission in your life. Listen, you might be the only one at your job who is Christian, but you need to have a brother or a sister who you can call up or meet up for lunch or something and journey with them. Please, if you don't have one, pray to find one. And so, like it says... Verse 16, this is that persecution and hard times Jesus was talking about. 
Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. We'll just move on. Verse 26, have no fear. It says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that, you will, uh, that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We call Christ the Prince of Peace, and yet verse 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Let's pause here for a second and talk about that. When we think of peace, and this is the peace he's discussing here, we can talk and think about what we would call a utopian society. You hear a lot about it, you know, in different... Wouldn't it be nice if, if they just left them alone and they, these people didn't bother them and we just did our thing and that would be peaceful? No. <laughs> because then we're still isolated. Christ has come to reconcile the world to himself. And what's going to happen when you start to take the toys of torment away from the devil? He will get mad, right? People that you know, maybe people that you love, will turn against you. That's not them. That is the devil through them attacking you. Are you following what I'm saying? And yet, all of this, Christ is, what it boils down to is what he's saying, you are more valuable than the lowest creatures that I could think of, of taking care of taking care of. You are more valuable. I will be with you. I will protect you. I will sustain you. You will be okay because of me, the authority that can tell things to go away and stop bothering you. That's mine. That is my authority. So if I have it and I'm giving it to you, you will be okay. The verse of mission, right, or the, the, the chapter of mission, Matthew 28, it ends with, and I will be with you to the very ends of the age, no matter what you're going through, and you will go through things if you are on mission, if you are following Christ, not everything will be good all the time. And yet it says then in verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. You're going to be okay. I 
And after they hear all this, I imagine, you know, this is maybe even a test. It's like, so after all that, do you want the job? And they all 12 said yes. And this is the, I like this verse. There's a reason I chose this verse. 11 verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's really cool, right? We go back to the first couple of verses we read that it says, like, listen, there's a lot of work to be done, but it is his harvest. He needs laborers. That's what this is. He sent his disciples out to the different cities. They planted themselves there. And if it was appropriate for them to stay, they stayed and they ministered. And then once they had done the groundwork, the man with true authority came in and harvested. But it was their cities. Those were their people. They created relationships there. They journeyed with the people and pointed them, right? We're going to call back to last week. Listen, you guys are hungry. We can feed you. That's great. But there is someone that we know who is the bread of life. And if you eat, you will never be hungry again. In fact, here he comes. And they ushered people into the presence of Christ, and people were saved that day. And I love that uh, the way that it's worded, I mean, that's how it is in the Greek too, but it says in their cities, we have a city, right? Where are we? We are in Gainesville, Florida. We're here. I mean, it's not the biggest city in Florida, but hey, I mean, it's, it's, it's bigger than High Springs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is, we have a purpose and a place. Isn't it awesome, too? Like, when I tell you I go and I get to brag, I do. Isn't it awesome that the Lord saw fit to plant us here? You throw a rock and you hit the University of Florida. That's awesome. And now, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little, I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily planning on doing this, but it is Collegiate Sabbath. Why not? If you will allow me, I will speak. Can I speak my mind, church? Can I tell you, can I tell you how I feel? <laughs> I have heard, not here, but just, I mean, I yes here, but in general, there is this thing that says, hey, young adults are the future of the church. I disagree. Young adults are the now of the church. Some of you don't know me. I'm only 26. When I got here, I was 24. Okay? (laughs) We can no longer say, hey, you know, young adults, someday it's going to be their turn. It is their turn now. You are, we are walking, no, okay, no, we're not. We are driving distance to the University of Florida. We get for doing nothing. 
We just get students who walk in the door. There are Adventist churches in different parts of the United States that would kill to have the resources that we have. We are young adults. We can no longer view them as the future of the church. We must equip them and pour into them now. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, and the reason I can talk about them like I'm not them is because, and, and where's Karina? I told her I was going to put her in a sermon one day. She's, already, she's laughing. She already knows what it is. She finally set me apart. I am now old. Okay, let me tell you what happened. We were all talking, we were telling stories, and I was talking about when I was in high school, my senior year, you know, instead of textbooks, they gave us iPads. And her response was, there were iPads back then? <laughs> wow. So how old do you think I am? <laughs> the resource that we have as a church, it must be nurtured. Let's be honest. If the University of Florida wasn't here, people wouldn't care about Gainesville. <laughs> they wouldn't care. They would drive past on their way to Jacksonville or Orlando or wherever. But because of where we are, because of the fact that the Lord placed us here among the other mission that we have, we do have mission to everybody else, right? Because Christ died for everyone. We cannot put our young adults to the side. Let them lead. And why don't we be their second? Why don't we walk with them? Just to brag on them some more. I mean, some already here. Just... These are, good, these are good kids, okay? We keep calling you, since I'm so old, I'll call you kids. <laughs> these are good kids, all right? And now I, again, then I'll put it into perspective for you, because maybe, just maybe, you might have a different view in your mind of like Southern or Andrews or Oakwood or whatever. We almost couldn't pay Adventist students at Southern or and especially Andrews, we could not get them to show up to anything unless we offered worship credit. For those of you who went to Southern or Andrews or whatever, you know what that is. Say, hey, we're doing this Vespers. Why? Because I love Jesus. What are you talking about? Was there going to be worship credit? No. Why don't you just come and, and enjoy the words? Like, I'm good. They could be doing anything else right now. Their parents aren't here. Well, Karina's parents are here, but <laughs> most of their parents aren't here. They could be doing anything else right now. Friday night, they have a Vespers on campus. They could be doing anything else. There's no worship credit. They do it because they want to. When I call them and I say, hey, I need some help putting something together, they're here. Don't sideline them. They are a, such a valuable, valuable resource. All right, let's get, back to the, <laughs> let's get back to the other stuff. You may say, well, pastor, I agree with everything you've said about 
about our mission and our authority and all of that, but contextually, aren't we just talking about the twelve? Yes and no. In Acts, let's just jump over to Acts chapter 1. While I'm flipping there. Yes, Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Let's, let's, let's dwell a little bit back in, in the Gospels for a second while we get ready for this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them, hey, I'm going to have to go one day, but don't worry. I'm going to leave with you the advocate. Okay? You don't know who that is? That is the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is for everyone, right? That's what we see later in Acts, right? Uh, that literally, and that's why Jesus said at first, hey, go only to the Jewish towns because what was uh, prophesied, what was told is like, listen, hey, yeah, the, the message is for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit is for everyone. If you were here last summer, we did our series on Acts. That's what we talked about. That the Holy Spirit is for everyone. God is for everyone. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, place yourself, place yourself in this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You have been given a gift, the gift of godly authority no matter where you go, who you're talking to, or what challenge you're facing. Use it. Because when the Holy Spirit's with you, when God is with you, who can be against you. I'm going to close here. Uh, I do that because I always forget to tell the praise team, so I tell them I'm going to close here. But when I got to Andrews University and I interviewed and I got the job, in fact, actually, this is, this is how I didn't even necessarily, I did interview, but instead of putting an application in, they called me. And I'm not going to get into it, but little did I know how much I needed that job. That job was a blessing to me. Yeah, I got paid for it, but it was, man, I would have done it for free. I'm not going to get into all of that, maybe some other day. But they called me. Christ has called you. When they offered me the job, they gave me authority over the dorm. Thursday nights was my night. All authority was given to me. Not only that, though, then they walked with me. Yeah, sometimes I was alone, but I was never actually alone. The dean was always there, and God is always with you. Thursday, like I said, the dorm was mine, but it was the dean's mission. The dean gave us a vision and a mission for what we were supposed to do that year. It was his mission, but it was under my authority because he gave it to me. 
Gainesville, Florida is your town. But it's God's mission in your city. And so when you see, when we minister, might you minister the way Jesus does, moved with compassion, full of humility, because the gift is not yours, it was given to you. But at the end of the day, you must move. Let's pray. Most kind of Heavenly Father, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing us, for empowering us, for giving us authority. God, I know there's going to be troubles. You've told us there would be. People, uh, troubles from people we know, people we don't know. God, they're going to be hard times, but thank you for also encouraging us to walk together. God, I pray for those in here today or online who might be saying to themselves, I don't have anyone to walk with. God, I pray that they remember that ultimately they can come to you, that they are never alone. But God, I pray that here on this earth they would find a faithful friend to do life with. God, as we minister here in Gainesville, thank you. Thank you for giving us Gainesville. Lord, I pray that you equip us to do the best work we could ever do. And God, I pray that when we move here in our community, Lord, that we would be moved by compassion, that we would be moved by love and nothing else, because you are love. And without you at the center of what we do, we are nothing. God, help us. Amen. Closing song, Jesus at the center.